0: I uh, want you to come with me this morning, please, to the seventh book of the Old Testament, the book of Judges, uh, and the fourth chapter. And we will continue this morning our series that recently we started on uh, Notable Woman of the Bible, and uh, already we have looked at several, uh, Eve, the mother of all living, uh, good place to start, wasn't it, at the beginning, and then of course Mary, the mother of Jesus, then Mary Magdalene, and then Mary and Martha, two sisters in Bethany, and then the beautiful Abigail that we looked at last. This morning our subject will be Deborah, and then I'll tell you later about tonight. So, Judges chapter 4, just hold your place there. The setting for this story of Deborah is in the days of the Judges. And this was a period of some 300 to 400 years of Israel's darkest history. Four times in the book of Judges, uh, in Judges 17 and 6, in 18 and 1, 19 and 1, and 21, verse 25, it tells us that there was no king in Israel, and every man did that which was right in his own sight. So in other words, uh, there was no recognized leadership. Uh, There was nobody in charge. And the nation was virtually rudderless, drifting continually into the very dangerous currents of paganism and idolatry. Joshua had long since died. And even though the people had promised God before Joshua that they would serve the living God all the days of their life, that would be faithful to him. It wasn't too long after Joshua died that they began to compromise and capitulate uh, with those other tribes like the Canaanites around them. Now, the Canaanites in particular uh, were an extremely idolatrous nation. Uh, They were very perverted in their thinking and in their ways. In fact, I could not even begin to describe Uh, their lifestyles and what they did. Uh, I just could not do that this morning. But obviously it was an abomination unto the Lord. And surprisingly, or is it surprisingly because the heart of man is exceedingly wicked above all things, but they very soon uh, envied and wanted to adopt the lifestyle of the Canaanites around them. And God in effect says, well okay, if you really want to do that, I'll give you over to them. And he did that. He gave them over to the Canaanites. And then they found out that the lifestyle wasn't all that they thought it was. In fact, it was extremely oppressive. And they would be under servitude, not just to the Canaanites, but to Malachites and all the rest. They'd be under servitude to whatever period they lived in, to whatever surrounding nations were there and living in amongst them. And sometimes this servitude would last generations, literally generations. And then when they had enough of that oppression, they would cry unto the Lord. And the Lord, being gracious to them because they were his people, uh, he would forgive them. And he would raise up a, a judge, a man who would be a deliverer for them. And under God, he would bring the nation great victory and great deliverance. He would fight their cause. And then they would have a period of peace and again that could last a generation or maybe a couple of generations and then again they would compromise, they would capitulate, they would go into servitude and then they would cry unto God and then God would forgive them and raise up a judge and the whole sad, sorry cycle would can happen continuously over three to four hundred years. And in such a period of servitude to Yabin, uh, this Canaanite king, uh, will bring us into our story this morning. And this was a time of great impoverishment. Uh, this was a time when, in chapter 5, verse 8, it tells us that even though there was 40,000 men, uh, that were obviously capable of fighting, the age to fight, but there was not one sword or shield among 40,000 men. And so there was no means even now to retaliate uh, against Yabin. And on the other side of that coin, uh, Sisera, who was uh, Yabin's warlord, he had 900 iron chariots uh, at his command. Uh, These were awesome weapons of war in that day. And not only that, but he would have a mighty army that would far, far outnumber uh, any men that Israel could hope to muster. And so it was here at this particular time, in the time of uh, of Yabin, it was at this time that God raised up Deborah uh, to be a judge in Israel. In fact, in the long history uh, of the judges, Deborah was the only woman ever to be appointed by God to be a judge. And not only that, in the whole book of Judges, in the whole 21 chapters, She's the only one that was not only a prophet, not only a judge, but a prophet, a prophetess. And the only man, actually, by the way, to be a judge and a prophet was Samuel, the great Samuel. whom the Bible says that not one of his words fell to the ground. So she was standing in tall company alongside somebody of the stature of Samuel. Interestingly, I was thinking this the other day, that in the history of modern-day Israel, uh, one of the greatest leaders in modern-day Israel was also a woman, Golda Meir. Some of you older ones may remember Golda Meir. She was the the Iron Lady, the Maggie Thatcher of Israel, and she really was a strong, strong leader uh, at a very, very difficult period in modern history. Uh, modern history of Israel's time, and uh, she only resigned when she was 76 years old. <laughs> Can you imagine? And uh, so it was a sad indictment upon Israel that there was not one man among them that was worthy to be called a judge at this time. John Phillips, the preacher and author, uh, he remarks about this. He said, It says something for the deplorable situation, sorry, for the deplorable spiritual condition of God's people, that not only was there no man in the country willing to strike a blow for God in this oppression, But there was no man either with whom God was on speaking terms. Well, that's a statement, isn't it? And that was the truth. There was no man at this time that God was on speaking terms with other than this tremendous woman of God called Deborah. It is often said, is it not, that cometh the hour, cometh the man. Well, in this case, cometh the hour, cometh the woman. At least in Israel, there was, not, there was one who had not bowed the knee to Baal. And so our story will begin, as you'll see in a moment, with Deborah sitting underneath a palm tree, judging Israel. Now, I don't get the, the mental image in your mind of somebody with a black gown and a big wig sitting at a desk with a gavel. Uh, it was a bit more relaxed than that. But nevertheless, it was very, very important and and very official. This was a God appointment. And uh, all the whole nation recognized this woman uh, as a tremendous woman of God. And so she would sit there uh, and listen to disputes and arguments and debates and quarrels among families and and individuals and business leaders and any city elders that there were, uh, among uh, married couples, for example, and so she would do this all day long. And they would come from all over the nation. Such was uh, the standard and, and, uh, and the stature of this lady. They'd come from all over Israel uh, to get their disputes settled. Uh, and she would hold sway over several arguments and religious arguments. And so you can see this was a woman of unusual, uncommon wisdom and knowledge and understanding and discernment. However, she was much more than that. She was also a prophetess. She was one who heard directly from God himself, particularly in matters concerning the nation of Israel. As well as that, as we're about to see, and as she was about to find out, she was going to become a great military leader, a shining example of bravery and courage in the face of overwhelming odds. And on top of all of that, She was a wife and a homemaker and very possibly, probably a mother to boot. And so this is a woman that wore many hats. And as keeping with most women, she was a great multitasker. (laughs) So in the next two chapters, as we comment here and there, we shall see Deborah's leadership skills and we shall see her prophetic anointing. Now you have to understand that In both the Old Testament and New Testament, only a handful, only a handful of people and only a handful of women were actually recognized as being a prophetess. Literally, you can almost count them in two hands. And so this was a very privileged and special position to be in. We'll see her great faith, her physical stamina, her tremendous humility, and her ability to also Another string to her bow was to be able to write and to sing great songs of praise unto God. And so with that setting, with that background, we're going to begin to read now from chapter 4. And as I said, comment here and there and see what else we can learn. And be encouraged and be inspired and maybe be challenged by this wonderful, competent and very confident and able woman of God. So in chapter 4 of Judges, reading from verse 1, it says, When Ahud was dead, the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. Now, Ahud was a previous judge who fought against the Moabites. And if we had read even just the very verse, before, a couple of verses, just verse 30 in chapter 3, we'd have saw that that after Ahud, that the land had rest for 80 years. Uh, And then, of course, they capitulated compromise and the whole cycle began again. And so when Ahud was dead, the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hand of Yabin, king of Cana, who reigned in Hazor. Now, I should point out here uh, that critics of the Bible think that they latched on to something here when it mentions that Deborah in her time was going to have to fight uh, Yabin, uh, king of Cana, who came from Hazor. Because in Joshua chapter 11, and we're talking a hundred years prior to this, that Joshua himself actually uh, uh, defeated Yabin king of the Canaanites in Hazor and wiped out the city and burned the city. And critics of the Bible say, well, how come a hundred years later we're talking about the same thing? We're well, actually we're not. Because uh, Yabin was a heredity, hereditary title. It wasn't actually a name of the king. It was a title of a king. Something like, like Pharaoh or, or Nero. And there was many of those weren't there? And so let the Bible critics just shut up because they don't know what they're talking about. And history proves these things. So anyway, the commander of his army was Sisera, who dwelt in Harosheth, Hagoim. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, for Yabin had 900 chariots of iron, and for 20 years he had harshly oppressed the children of Israel. Uh, things was tough in the land at this time. In fact, We'll see in chapter 5 that people couldn't even go on the main thoroughfares. Their life would be in very danger of robbers and bandits and, and mercenary soldiers and all kinds of people. It was just an evil, wicked time to be living in Israel. And then it says in verse 4 now, Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth. Now, here's an interesting thing. That's all we know about Lapidoth. It's just his name. We have no record of history or who he was or what he was like. Now, in the patriarchal society of the Old Testament especially, uh, women and wives were better known by their more illustrious patriarchal husbands. Uh, For instance, uh, Sarah, better known because of Abraham. Or Rebecca, better known because of Isaac. Or Rachel or Leah, better known because of Jacob. Or even Miriam, better known because of her brother Moses. That was the culture of the day. But here, all we know about this man, Labidoth, is he's married to Deborah. And even though it says he's the wife of Labidoth, but he's better known. In fact, he's only known because of Deborah. That's all we know about him, that he's the husband of Deborah. We're assuming probably correctly, that he was a godly man and a good man. We have no reason to believe otherwise, but that's all we know about him. So she was judging in Israel at this time, and she would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the mountains of Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. So here's Deborah, and she's holding court, as it were, and she's doing her day job. And she did this all day long. And so that must have been quite taxing, but she must have been a woman of tremendous intellect and wisdom and knowledge and understanding about just about everything. She was a very, very, very clever woman, this Deborah. And so here she is, and again we have to assume this, and I'm sure it's correct, that she would be a tremendous woman of prayer. She, was a woman who would seek the Lord continuously. Uh, it's particularly about her nation because she lived in the nation at a very, very bad time and, and being a woman of God uh, and a seeker after the Lord, she'd want to know, well, God, what's happening in her nation? Well, she would know that, but God, what are you going to do about it? You know what I mean? Uh, you know, there are, Our people are oppressed continuously and I know that they've gone into idolatry and they've worshipped other gods, but Lord, we're sick of this. Lord, please do something. I, I can imagine that was her prayer life. And then God began to speak. And that prophetic gift began to come forth. God began to speak into her ear what she needed to hear about the nation. So in verse 6 it says, Then she sent and called for Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh in Naphtali. And she said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded?" Go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor. Take with you 10,000 men of the sons of Naphtali and the sons of Zebulun. And against you I will deploy Sisera, the commander of Yabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude at the river Kishon. And I will deliver him into your hand. So here is a tremendous prophetic announcement And away up north from where she was in Kadesh, which, by the way, was one of the cities of refuge. There were six cities of refuge that were strategically placed in the land so that if someone accidentally killed another person, which we would say is manslaughter, that if they ran to the city of refuge... Uh, There would be safety there for them and there would be people there to judge them and to talk about the situation and and protect them from the avenger of blood who would be a a blood relative of the one who had died because it was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So they made it to one of the cities of refuge then they could stay there and be protected until the high priest died. Now if they left that city of refuge any time during that time before the high priest died then the avenger of blood could kill them. So we find this man Barak lived in a city of refuge. We don't know why that happened. We, we cannot necessarily assume that he was in that because he, he was on the run. Uh, perhaps he was born there. And maybe his father, uh, that we read about a moment ago, maybe he was the one who had to go there and live, and maybe Barak was born there. But. Again, I believe that Barak was a good man and a godly man and a courageous man uh, and perhaps a soldier, uh, one that could command the attention of other people. God chose him for a reason. And uh, and out of all the men in Israel, he was the one that was chosen. And he lived away up there, way, way north of Deborah uh, in Kadesh. And so she sends for him and tells him this wonderful prophetic word from God that God is going to cause uh, Sisera uh, to, to come. I'm going to set him against you and you're going to go against him and I'm going to give you great victory. You're going to win this battle. You're going to defeat the Canaanites. That's what the whole nation was longing for and no doubt Barak wanted this too. That was the prophetic word. That was the word of the Lord into his life. But then what happens? In verse 8, Barak said to her, I will go. Sorry, Barak said to her, If you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. Ah. Now. What God was asking Barak to do It was going to require courage. It was going to require faith. It was going to require trust. It was going to require him believing the word of the Lord. It was going to require him believing Deborah that brought the word of the Lord. And so, this good man, this great man, this man that had faith, this man that was courageous, he comes to this point. And his faith weakens. His faith weakens. And instead of just trusting the word of the Lord, it's all he had to do. Remember at this point, God hadn't said for Deborah to go up. This was Barak's job. Barak had to do this job. God called Barak to do this job. But here he is, and his faith Weakens. And he says, Deborah, I'll go with up if you go with me, but if you don't go with me, I'm not going to go up. So she said, I will surely go with you. No equivocation, no hesitation, no second thoughts, no arguments. She knew the job had to be done. God had spoken. It had to be carried out. And if it took her to go to do that, then she would do it. She wouldn't remonstrate with him. She wouldn't remonstrate with God. She gave him the opportunity. He was the one who's supposed to do it. He's backing off a little bit. He's still going to do it, but only if she's there. So she says, All right, if that's what it takes, I'll go. What a woman. But do you notice how she gave him his place. Do you notice how she put him in front first because that was the word of the Lord to do that. And she did that. She had no notion of going. She had no desire to go. She didn't feel it was her place to go. It was his place and it was his place to go. But he's backing off. And now the job at hand is too great. God has spoken. His word must be carried out. So she says, surely I will go with you. Nevertheless, here's another prophetic announcement. nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey you are taking. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. And he did that, you'll see, in a moment or two. I kind of suspect that Barak at that point probably thought, hmm, I'm sure that's you you're talking about. Because <laughs> that was the only woman he knew in the land that would have any courage to do something like this. That's probably what he was thinking, but God had other ideas. Then it says, then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Gadesh. Now, I don't know how many times you could read that, because I have done over the years. I never thought a thing about that. So what? But do you realize, and this is is not a teenage woman. This is probably a middle-aged woman. Do you realize that this was a journey of probably about a week of walking? every day for a week? Maybe 12 hours a day for a week on hard, difficult ground? I mean, this is a woman of some stamina. This is no weakling woman. I mean, this is a strong woman in many, many ways. So whatever it's going to take, should it take a week's hard slog to get there, she's going to get there because God has spoken. And Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. He went up with 10,000 men under his command and Deborah went up with him. Now even though Barak's faith weakened and he wouldn't go unless she went, but I think that tells us that this was a man of some stature also. A man that would be highly respected and a man that could communicate and a man that could command the respect of 10,000 men. Now remember these 10,000. Remember even though God has spoken, but they're the ones who's going to have to go and face a mighty army that's bristling with arms to the teeth and they haven't even got a sword or a shield among them. So so for him to convince them to to take on this task, well, he he must have had some respect and he must have had some ability to be able to do that. Then it says this unusual thing in verse 11. Now Heber, the Kenite of the children of Hohab, the father-in-law Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, had separated himself from the Kenites and pitched his tent near the terebinth tree at Zanaim, which is beside Kadesh. Ah, so here somebody else enters the story. This Kenite. You remember Moses. In the backside of the desert, you remember how that his father in law, uh, Jethro, was the high priest of Midian? He was a Canaanite. And the Canaanites, since that time, became friendly with the Israelites. Uh, and they lived among them. They were a Bedouin people. They, they traveled in tents and they had camels and they would pick up their gold here and there, wherever the, wherever the grazing was for their sheep and their goats. They were, they were a, a Bedouin people. So they would travel around. And for whatever reason, this particular family, Heber and his family, whatever reason, separated themselves from the rest of the the tribes of the Canaanites. And and they moved out a little bit separate. And then it it says in verse 12, which is important, and they reported to Sisera that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor. So, So here is... For whatever reason, and we don't know this, and I've looked at so many commentators about this, nobody can agree. For whatever reason, this family and this man decided to betray the Israelites. One commentator said that he probably was intimidated and frightened by a but I don't think that's the case. We don't know why, but he did it. And so... Sisera gathered together all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the people who were with him from Harosheth, Hagawim, to the river Kishon. And so, I want you to imagine just for a moment the geography of the land. The river Kishon was in this Kishon valley, which by the way is the area and attached itself, the area to Jezreel and Megiddo, which is the we know as the Armageddon where the great last final battle on earth will be fought, Armageddon. And there there was a dry at this time of the year a dry riverbed that the Kishon River was dried up, it was just a dry riverbed. So this is a valley surrounded by hills and small mountains. And Mount Tibor, which is it's not it's not a big it's but nine hundred feet smaller than Sleeve Donard, in Newcastle. So it's not a big mountain, but it's a big hill. And so Ten thousand of Israelites there on this big, big hill, and down in the valley are armed to the teeth with swords and spears and sheaves and chariots, all glinting in the sun. That must have been an awesome, frightening, intimidating sight, and that's what it was designed to do. Now, of course, in the valley, that's where the chariots would have, would. I mean, they would be the chariots, the iron chariots, were the high tech. Armaments of their day. I mean, nobody else had these. They didn't have one of them. They only had a sword or a shield. And so these were the high-tack armaments of their day. And historians tell us that they had big size coming out from from the wheels. So, when they would charge through uh, their enemies, they would cut them in pieces. So, I mean, this was frightening, intimidating to see this mighty army of Sisera down in the valley. And here they are up there with nothing, standing up on the mountains, looking down. You can imagine it's quite a difficult scene. But listen to what happens when that's taken place. Remember now, Deborah, this middle aged woman, she's climbed up this mountain too. I mean, that's tough, that's hard, but she does it. And then Deborah said to Barak, Barak, up, for this is the day in which the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hand. Has not the Lord gone out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him and the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots with all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak. Now let's just stop there. You say, well, how did that happen? The nether sword nor shield. And yet it says here they had swords. How, how could 10,000 men with probably just daggers and maybe hatchets and maybe clubs how could they go down and rout such a mighty army? You see, this is where you have to read in chapter five. This is Deborah's great victory song. And in chapter five, in verse nineteen, and following it says, "The kings came and fought. So there was more than even one here. The kings came and fought. Then the kings of Canaan fought in Tanach by the waters of Megiddo. This is where the river Kishon was. They took no spoils of silver." They fought from the heavens. The stars from their courses fought against Sisera. So there's something happening in the nature, in the realm of nature here that's taking place. Listen to it. The torrent of Kishon swept them away. That ancient torrent, the torrent of Kishon. Oh, my soul, march on in strength. Then the horse's hooves pounded, the galloping, galloping of his steeds. So here's what happened. Sisera and his forces are in array in the valley. Barak and Deborah are on Mount Tibor with their 10,000 looking down. Deborah suddenly gives the word. But something else is taking place. To make this possible, before Deborah gives the word, something happens. God uses the very forces of nature not for the first time in Scripture, against this great army. And I can imagine a, a great, great thunderstorm, a great tempest swept in, and there would be thunderings and lightnings. So how many people know that horses do not like thunder and lightning? Amen? And there would be great prancing of the horses, and there would be disarray within the troops, and the wind would be howling, and the rain would be lashing, and all that time, the 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 hills around, all the gullies would be filling up with water. And before long, I'd be seeing it all the time. Before long, there would be a great rush of water coming down through the valley. A flash flood, if you will. Now, we have seen flash floods over this past couple of winters. We saw it there, was it last year or the year before, in Cornwall. We saw a whole river burst its banks, and we saw cars and buses and lorries going down the river and houses falling into the river and going down. So such is the power of this. And it says they were sweeping them away. And Deborah shouts, Go up, for the Lord has given them into your hand. And then suddenly, while this is all happening down in the valley and there's disarray and they're being swept away and they're getting bogged in and all kinds of stuff is happening and and they're dying to escape, suddenly they see 10,000 men screaming in the top of their voices and yelling, shouting all the way down the mountain. That must have been a fearsome sight for the enemy to see that. And God was giving them such a wonderful. Victory! What a glorious victory! The Bible says he discomfited. He discomfited them. That means he put them into confusion. And such was the rush to get away out of that valley, they were dropping their swords and their spears all over the place. They just wanted to get out of there, just to get out alive. They're being swept away. And so, when the men rushed down, there was lots of swords and spears and shields and just lying there. And they lunged into this great army. And it says that all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. However, Sisera had fled away on foot to the tent of Yael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, For there was peace between Yabin, king of Hazor, and the house of Heber the Kenite. And Yael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my Lord. Turn aside to me. Do not fear. And when he had turned aside with her into the tent, she covered him with a blanket. I would need you to stop here just a second. This broke all the rules of propriety. For a man to go into a woman's tent Not only was it bad etiquette, but it was a crime to do it. But then this was a wicked man anyway. who cared not for anybody, man or woman. But she entices him in. And feeling he was safe among this family, he goes in. Now he's running for his life here. And he's tired and he's weary and he's thirsty and he's exhausted. And she says, come in my Lord. Come into my tent. I, I, I don't think even Heber knew this was going on. I'm sure he didn't. Nobody else knew. And listen to what happens. Turn aside, my Lord. Turn aside. Do not fear. And when he turned aside with her into the tent, she covered him with a blanket. Then he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink for I am thirsty. So she opened a jug of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. So she's really softening him up, making him feel he's safe here and he's okay and he's making him comfortable. And then he said to her, verse 20, Stand at the door of the tent. If any man comes and inquires of you and says, Is there any man here? You shall say, No. Because he knew that would be, that could be death for him. But then look at this. Then Yael, Heber's wife, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand and went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple and went down into the ground. And he was fast asleep, for he was fast asleep and weary. And so he died. I bet you he did. Now this woman had no arms either. But in those days, the women were the ones who erected the tents and dismantled the tents. So she would be very good with a mallet and a tent peg. And she hit him that hard and she banged that tent peg so many times right through his head right into the ground. She was making sure he was never going to get up again. Now why she did this we don't know. Maybe she was the true one in her house that thought this is not right. Our families betrayed these Israelites. This is not right. I'm going to avenge this betrayal. I'm going to put things right. But she did. This is the one whom Deborah prophesied about, wasn't it? To Barak. You'll get no glory. Sisera should have been in your hands. God gave him into your hands. But because you weakened, God's going to give him into the hands of a woman. And here's the woman. Now I bet you, in a later moment, later thought, I bet you that Heber was very, very, very nice to Yael from that moment on. I bet you he didn't have any rise before he went to bed. Anyway, I can tell you that. <laughs> no messing with this woman. <laughs> and if she's putting up a tent, stay well back. <laughs> and then as Barak pursued Sisera, Yael came out to meet him and said to him, Come, I will show you the man whom you seek. And when he went into her tent, there lay Sisera dead with a peg in his temple. So on that day, God subdued Yabin king of Canaan in the presence of the children of Israel. The hand of the children of Israel grew stronger and stronger against Yabin king of Canaan until they had destroyed Yabin king of Canaan. Then Deborah and Barak, and we'll just do this very, very quickly. Then Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, sang on that day, saying, when leaders lead in Israel, when the people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord. And so there was a coming together of, of leaders and people in this battle of the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will praise, sing praise to the Lord, the God of Israel. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the field of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens poured. The clouds also poured water. The mountains gushed before the Lord. Then Saniy before the Lord, the Saniy before the Lord God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, in the days of Yael, the highways were deserted and the travelers walked among the byways. Village life ceased. It ceased in Israel. Uh, There was no cohesion even within the villages and people were leaving and getting out of the whole country. It was such a state. Until I, Deborah, arose A mother in Israel. What a great title. A mother in Israel. She's a mother to Israel, by the way, as well. They chose new gods. Then there was war in the gates. Not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 Israel. My heart is with the rulers of Israel who offered themselves willingly with the people. Bless the Lord. Speak, you who ride on white donkeys, who sit in judges' attire. This is the wealthy... Those are those who took no part in it. And who walk along the road. Far from the noise of the archers among the watering places. There shall they recount the righteous acts of the Lord, the righteous acts for his villagers in Israel. And then the people of the Lord shall go down to the gates. Awake, awake Deborah. Awake, awake, sing a song. Arise, Barak, and lead your captives away, O son of Ab- Abinuam. then the survivors came down. People against the nobles. The Lord came down for me against the mighty. For Ephraim were those whose roots were in Amalek. Now, she, she now recounts some of the tribes that joined in the battle and she praises them and she rebukes those who refused. So, listen to this. After you, Benjamin with your peoples, and from Machir rulers came down, from Zebulun, those who hear those who bear the recruiter staff. And the princes of Issachar were with Deborah. As Issachar, so so was Barak, sent into the valley under his command. And so here is various tribes and half-tribes that got involved uh, in this great battle. And she commends them and praises them for it. But she says, Among the divisions of Reuben, there were great resolves of heart. Why did you sit among the sheepfolds to hear the pipings for the flocks? The divisions of Reuben have great searchings of heart. Now here's her rebu- rebuke to the tribes of Reuben. She says, Why did you not come to help? Why all the searchings of heart? What was the problem? I mean, we could say in our vernacular, this is a no-brainer. I mean, what are you thinking about? You don't have to figure this out. Just come and get stuck in and help us here. But you see, they were wringing their hands and were wondering, should we get involved? They were way down in the south. Should we get involved, those people up north? And should we bother? And it's inconvenient. And, and, and should, should maybe win anyway? And we don't need to get involved. We don't want to get our hands dirty. And we have enough to do down You know, this is the way they were going on. And in the end, they didn't get involved. So the reason it just as people give never to get involved in the kingdom of God, you know. Never to get involved in the work of the Lord. I'm sure others will do it. that's right, others will do it and they'll be blessed and they'll be rewarded but you won't in fact the Lord may even rebuke us if we don't get involved Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan why did Dan remain on ships and Asher continued at the seashore and stayed in his inlets in his bays well they had business to look after they had fish to catch the stuff to sell To trade, they didn't want to get involved. Too much time, too much effort. But the Lord rebukes them, doesn't He? Zebulun is a people who jeopardized their lives to the point of death. Naphtali also on the heights of the battlefield. The kings came and fought. Then the kings of Canaan fought in Tanakh by the waters of Megiddo. They took no spoils of silver. They fought from the heavens. The stars in their courses fought against Sisera. The torrents of Kishon swept them away. The ancient torrent, the torrent of Kishon. O oh, my soul, march on in strength. Then the horses' hoofs pounded. The galloping, galloping of his steeds. Curse Miros, said the angel of the Lord. Curse its inhabitants bitterly. Because they did not come to help, to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Now, Meroz was quite close to Kadesh. If anybody should have joined Barak, it should have been this lot, but they didn't. In fact, there was an escape route for Sisera's men, and they should have blocked that path, but they didn't. Well, in the end, they were killed anyway, but they didn't do it. And God curses them. You can see God is really, really angry with these people. Most blessed among women is Yael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Now, because we live in the New Testament era, we cannot get away. This was a woman of her era, of her day. We could not get away with this. She lied, she deceived and she killed with her bare hands even though it was an enemy and a wicked enemy and even though God commends her for it here but we could never get away with lies and deceit and killing today. We're under the age of grace today not under law. Blessed is she among women in tents. He asked for water, she gave milk she brought a bowl of cream in a lordly bowl. She stretched out her hand to the tent peg, her right hand to the workman's hammer. She pounded Sisera. She pierced his head. She split and struck through his temple. At her feet he sank, he fell, he lay still. At her feet he sank, he fell. Where he fell, there he fell dead. Huh. But listen to this. We're just about finished. Verse 28. The mother of Sisera looked through the window and cried out through the lattice. Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarries the clatter of his chariots? Ah, this was unusual. I mean, this battle was just going to be a dawdle. He probably told his mother, he says, look, I'll be back in a couple of days. This is nothing. These people have nothing. They haven't got a sword or spear. We've got 900 chariots. This is going to be easy. We'll just wipe them out and I'll be back and I'll have great spoil. But he's not coming back, is he? And she's beginning to get a bit weary and wondering what's happening. This is not like him, my great warlord's son. What's going on here? And so her wisest ladies answered her, trying to procreate her. Yes, she answered herself. Are they not finding and dividing the spoil? Now note this, to every man a girl or two. Ah, Why do you suppose every man a girl or two. I don't have to spell it out to you, sure don't. These were wicked, evil, debauched people. And only God would know, and I say that reverently, what they would do to these young girls. You know, that was one of the great fear of the Red Army, you know, when they, when they during the, the last fightings of the last war, you know, when they defeated Germany and came in through and boy they just left a trail of devastation and just Rape after rape after rape. It was horrific. Horrific. But here's a mother actually thinking this is okay. Here's a mother actually boasting in this. This is a wicked, evil woman. No wonder Sisera was like what he was like. For every man, a girl or two, for Sisera, the, a plunder of dyed garments, plunder of garments embroidered with dye, two pieces of dried, dyed embroidery for the neck of the litter. All she could think about was what she was going to get out of it. Well, she didn't get anything out of it. Thus let all your enemies perish, O Lord, but let those who love him be like the sun when it comes out in full strength. So the land had rest for 40 years. Ha! What a mighty woman of God. What a great prophetess. What a wonderful judge what a woman of great faith and ability. But, my last comment, but, when you read the heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11, she's not in it. Barak's in it. And even though his name comes after Gideon, who in the book of Judges, he was before Gideon, and because of his weaker faith, he comes after Gideon, but Deborah doesn't even get a mention. Remember, the Holy Spirit's the one who authors the Bible. But you know what? I don't think she'd have minded one bit. Because I think she was a humble woman. And if you read that wonderful song that she wrote and sang, apart from saying, I was a mother in Israel, apart from that, what would she do? She was praising all those who came to the fight of the Lord. She was lauding them and lifting them up. That was her humility. She never wanted to go in the first place. It wasn't in her thoughts. But God got her to go. Amen? So she's not mentioned in the Hebrews chapter of heroes of faith. But she was a hero of faith. In God's sight she was. But she was a humble one at that. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Well, listen. Tonight...